want you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 62. This is not what I have prepared to share this morning. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, one of those weekends where I had a word prepared happens a lot, it seems, but uh, never just got settled on it. Felt good about it, and then last night just felt like there was something else God was wanting to say. Struggled and struggled and laid awake and struggled and woke up this morning struggling, and then it's like, God, what is it you're wanting to say? And uh, opened up my devotional, one of my devotionals that I do every morning and just one little excerpt from Psalm 62 was the verse for today and it's just like that's it that's it I told my wife I said I'm gonna learn someday to quit laying awake and struggling because I do this all the time and then God always gives me what it is right before but but uh, uh, it's just something that I do but Psalm 62 I, I think goes right along with with what's been the theme of the day worship by the way when we corporately gather together to worship, there are two things that we need to remember. Number one, it's not about us. Okay, when we gather together to worship, it's about Him. So what we're doing is we're blessing Him with our song. We're rehearsing His love and His mercy and His grace, and we're celebrating His power and His character, and we're blessing Him. Secondly, when God moves in the midst of worship like He does every time we allow Him to do so. And it's always us that either allows Him to do so or not. But when we allow Him to do what He said He'd do, He said we're two or three gathered together in His name. He's there in the midst of them. And so when He comes, He always is ready to, to do something in someone's life. And so worship is about Him, and then once His presence has come and settled on the room, and He begins to move, then, then He wants to move on other people with worship. So at no point in the middle of worship is it really about us. And sometimes I think in American Christianity, we miss that. We, we kind of think that we come to worship for us. We come to worship so that we can get this, or, or, or enjoy this, or do that. Now... If, if you get in the presence of God, let me promise you something. Worship will be enjoyable. If you get into the presence of God, you're going to get something out of it. But if you think that's why you're worshiping, you're messing the whole thing. Because if that's why you're worshiping, then if it's too hot in the room, you're not going to worship. If it's too cold in the room, you're not going to worship. If your chair is uncomfortable, you're not going to worship. If the person around you is too loud, you're not going to worship. If something around you is not quite the way you like it, you're not going to worship. If it's a song that you know and you like, you will worship. If it's a song that you don't know and you won't like, don't like, you might not worship. But all of those things play into it if we think that worship is something that it's not. If it's a style of music that you like, then you'll worship. If it's a style of music that you don't like, uh-oh, come on, then you won't. If you think it's about us, but if it's about Him, then none of that matters. And if it's about Him, we're going to come into His presence because He's worthy of honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving because everything we just sang today, and I didn't know, I knew Kenny was going to possibly do that last song at the altar call, but I didn't know he was going to do it during worship. And I've heard that song a few times, but it, that is what we're celebrating is a love that God gives that pursues you know, a lot of times I think we think His love is just kind of sitting here. Well, if you guys want it, y'all come get it. But what God knows and what His Word teaches is that you're not smart enough to go get it. Sorry if I offended you. You're not strong enough to go get it. You're not good enough to go get it. You're not holy enough to go get it. You're not even good enough to want it. You know, the Bible says that the whole, if, if the Holy Spirit had not called you, beckoned you, pursued you, there's no way you could have possibly been born again. Even the fact that you ever had a desire to think about having a desire to be born again is the fact that Jesus was already pursuing you before you ever cared at all about Him. He was pursuing you. And a lot of times we kind of think, well, that ends when we get born again, but it doesn't because unfortunately we retreat behind our walls even after we're born again. Even after we've experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel, 
Even after the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us, we go back to doing things our way instead of doing things God's way, and we go back inside a prison door that's door is actually open because Jesus has opened it, but we go back in the cell and stay there. And many times the reason we do that is because we're under some mindset where we think, well, I don't deserve this. Wow, what a revelation. And I'm not trying to be rude, guys. You never did deserve it. You don't deserve it now, and you're not going to deserve it any time in the future. Jesus' blood is what makes you worthy. And if you're looking, listen, this is very important. If you're looking for any other thing to make you worthy other than the blood of Jesus, you are walking into the realm of heresy. It is a false idea. It will never work. Religion can't make you worthy. No performance you give for God can make you worthy. Matter of fact, I'm so tired of religious performance that I have had it up to here. All I want is for somebody to come wide open before God and say, God, here I am, wide open, messed up, wrecked, don't know what to do, don't know which ends up, but I know I desperately need you because without you I don't even have the hope to get up off my knees. I need you. And the love of God pursues you all the way to that point. And then when you get up He welcomes you. One of my favorite verses is James 1.5 where it says if any man lacks wisdom let him ask of God. And the Bible says when we ask Him He gives to every person generously. But that's not my favorite part. My favorite part's the next part. It says, He gives to every person generously and upbraideth not. The reason I like that so much is because we're coming to God admitting, if we need wisdom, then we're admitting, I don't, I don't know everything. I, I don't have everything. I, I don't have it all together. I need something. I'm dependent. And a lot of times we think, well, if I do that, you know, God's going to be disappointed in me. You know, I should have it. Somehow we have this idea that we get to this point where we should have it all figured out. And so my favorite part is when it says, I'm not going to upbraid you. That means when you come to God asking for wisdom, He's not going to hit you on top of the head and say, well, why don't you already know? I'll give it to you, but you should have already known. One more time. I'm going to help you out this one more time, but you sh- I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you should be better than this. No, that's what religion does, and that's what we do. Thank the Lord, that's not what God does. And I believe that's the message that the Lord's been speaking to our hearts this morning. And Psalm 62 goes along with this. This finds David at a time in his life that was difficult. He was surrounded by enemies. He was going through a great difficult moment. Life was hard. And he says, truly, verse 1 of Psalm 62 Truly, my soul, my inner man, this deep inside part of me, silently waits for God. Now, if you've read the Psalms, you understand why David's at this point where he has no more words. Because he's, I think he's already used them all up. Because one thing about David, he was wide open. When David was upset, all you got to do is read certain psalms and you realize, yeah, David's mad now. David's mad today. Because you can read it in the psalm. When David's confused and he don't understand what God's doing, it's no mystery because you can read it in the psalm. David's just saying, God, what are you doing? I like that. It's pretty simple. Oh, I wouldn't want to say that to God. Well, you're thinking it. He already knows it. Right? So you read these psalms, when David's happy, you know it. When David's sad, you know it. And that's why I love the psalms. Because they're just real. That's why for generations people have loved the psalms. This was the Jewish psalm book. This is what they sang. They, and they didn't, by the way, just sing the, the good songs, the happy songs. They would sing the sad songs, the songs of lament as well. You know why? Because some days... We know God's always good, but some days aren't. And so David here, I think he's used up all his words and he's prayed everything he knows how to pray. You've been there? You prayed everything you know how to pray. You've done everything you know how to do. And now he comes to what I think is the place of real faith. See, charismatics think the place of real faith is when we're doing... 
And I like that, and there's nothing wrong with that, and there's a place and a time for that. But I think the real place of real faith is more like this. I've said all I know to say. I've done everything I know to do. I don't feel anything. I don't hear anything. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to wait for you. Now see, that's faith. And David's at that point. He says, truly, my soul silently waits for God. And here's why. From Him comes my salvation, my rescue, my deliverance, my forgiveness, my freedom, my wholeness. Everything I'm hoping for, longing for, praying for, everything I need, it comes from Him alone. So from Him comes my salvation. He only, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, so I shall not be greatly moved or shaken. He alone. Nobody else. Nobody else. Now here's what we do. I'm not saying we won't pray, because we will. We'll pray, we'll go to church, we'll go to seminars, we'll go to conferences, we'll go to concerts, and all those things are good. But generally, we'll do those things, and then we'll do everything that we can find. We'll, we'll, we'll look up every answer we can find, we'll, we'll spin our wheels, we'll, we'll work as hard as we can work to try to fix and solve We'll run ourselves ragged trying to fix and solve. And David's figured something out, and he's done it by hard experience, by the way. He said, Lord, you alone are my defense. You alone are my refuge. You alone. There's no one else that can help me. I could go and buy 25 self-help books. Twelve points in each of them. And I could gain a lot of information. But if you don't help me, I'm not going to be helped. Now, I'm not against those things, but understand, if God doesn't help us. And if you've never been to a point where you've been at that point, I'm sorry to inform you, but life will bring you there someday. You're going to come to a point at some time in your life, every human being has to. Where it's got to be God. And the good news is, when you come to that point, God's more than able. And David's recognizing that. He says, so I'm just waiting, God. I can't do anything about this. I can't bring deliverance for myself. I can't bring hope for myself. You alone are my rock. And it's because of you alone that I won't be greatly moved or shaken. Now he turns his attention to the enemy that's against him. He says, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you. Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence, they only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. So David lets you know what's going on. Apparently he's under attack. People are telling lies about him. People are trying to bring him. Can I tell you something? And, and I hope this isn't you, but this is human nature. There are two times that you really need to be careful. One is when you're down, and one is when you're up. Because when you're down, you don't need anybody to take pot shots at you. You're already down, and it's just hard to get people to come and, 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 and help encourage you. But unfortunately, human nature is when somebody's up, that's when people like to take pot shots at them the most. Because we have this internal thing. We don't like to see someone, somebody happy when we're not. Don't look at me funny. You know you don't like it when you look on Facebook and somebody else is in the palm trees and at the ocean and you're not. You know that. You know that you'll send your little note on Facebook and comment, Yeah, I'm so glad for you. And you're thinking, why wasn't that me? Uh, say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have Facebook. That's okay. We do it in our minds and with our words too. It's been going on way before there was a Facebook. And David's in that position. He says, somebody wants to bring me down. And so people are lying about him and, and attacking him. And he said, how long does this have to go on? You ever been in a battle that you feel like it's never going to end? You're not alone. 
It's a part of life. So he turns back his attention in verse 5. He says, my soul. Now notice this. He's talking to himself. There's nothing wrong with him. Sometimes you've got to have a good conversation with yourself. You ever wake up and have one of those days? You know it's one of those days before you ever start having the day. Sometimes you just got to talk to yourself. And David says, my soul. Sometimes I'll go by and I'll, I'll, I'll be kind of having an internal dialogue. Anybody do that? You know, I don't want to just talk out loud to myself because people think I'm crazy. But, but uh, you know, you're having this internal dialogue. But sometimes out loud when my internal dialogue is not good, I'll tell myself literally, shut up. Just shut up. So if you ever hear me say that, I'm not talking to you. I'm probably having an internal dialogue and I'm telling myself to be quiet. Because sometimes you just got to say, hey. You know better than that. And David does that. He says, my soul. Take, stand up. Pay attention. My soul. Wait silently for God alone. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought he just said he was. Well, he did say he was. Just like we've come to the altar and said, oh, God, here's everything. I'm laying it down right now. I'm never going to pick it up again. Here's all my fear. Here's all my turmoil. Here's all my anxiety. I'm not ever going to pick that up again. I'm going to wait on you, God. I believe you're going to take care of me. And before you get to lunch, you're already picking it back up again. So David's having to remind himself, wait a minute, I just made a commitment. I'm going to wait on God alone. I'm not going to try to do this myself. I'm not going to try. I've already tried. I can't fix it. So he reminds himself again. He says, my soul waits silently for God alone. Why? Because my expectation is from Him. He only, and here's that phrase, He only. He only, not Jesus plus this, and Jesus plus that, and Jesus plus... He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. So I shall not be moved or greatly shaken. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. So verse 8. And this is a hard part for us sometimes. Trust in Him at all times, you people. That was the verse I read in my devotion this morning. Trust in Him at all times. Good times, bad times, happy times, and sad times. Trust in Him at all times, you people. And then here's the part that really stood out to me. Pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. Trust Him all the time. But when it gets so hard and you're carrying so much and you feel alone, then go find a place and pour your heart out before God because He's your refuge. He's your refuge. And I was thinking about that as I was reading it this morning. I thought how, how the, the enemy... The Bible doesn't say anything about being nervous or concerned about the enemy's power. It does say to be aware of his schemes. It says be careful about his trickery, his subtlety. And I've, and I've thought, and I know you've heard me kind of allude to this before, but for most Christians who are sincere about following Jesus, I, and I don't know how you can be a Christian and not be sincere about following Jesus, but I, for most believers... The enemy had to find a way to keep them from the power in the life of God. Because, you see, if we really get sold on who he is and what he does, we're not going to be looking for any other place to find peace and deliverance and hope and joy. And so I think in many ways through his subtlety, he's quit on his scheme of trying to get you. I mean, if he can get you tempted into some sin that will bring bondage, he'll certainly do that. But I think for a lot of Christians, he, he, he doesn't do that because he's tried that and it may not have worked. So I think he just gets you to look at other things to bring you peace and wholeness and pleasure and get you so spinning out of control in those other things. You see, everybody has the same gift of time. We've all got 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's what we've got. Everybody gets the same thing. And in those 24 hours a day and 7 days a week, there are certain responsibilities that everybody has to fulfill in their life. 
So there's only a limited amount of time that everybody has then to go spend any concentrated time pursuing the presence of God. And according to David, it's the presence of God that is our refuge and our deliverance and our fortress. And our home. Matter of fact, he says, only there will we find what we need. So if the enemy cannot get us deceived into some area that's going to bring some sinful, wicked bondage in our life, then I think he, in his subtlety, has gotten us so distracted that we have so many parts and pieces in so many different places that we can't ever focus in one place, and that is a bad thing if Jesus is our only hope and our only rescue. How many times can we say that we fully come into the presence of God, wholly focused on who He is? And see, David says, I want you to stop pouring your heart out to other things. I want you to pour your heart out to God. I want you to trust Him and Him alone at all times. Pour your heart out to Him. He's your refuge. He's your hope. He's your deliverance. He's your peace. God alone. If you'll skip over to Psalm 63. It's the very next psalm. David says this, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. Now, that's not just meaning at 5 a.m. in the morning or 4 a.m. or whatever early is to you. It means in the central first, the, the prioritized, most important part, the whole, the core of my day and my life will I seek you. My soul Thirst for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There's no refreshing. And I just tell you now, there's no real refreshing here. Not on this planet. Not really. I mean, you can find some pleasure for a while. You can, you can get things off your mind for a while and find some pleasure. And, but here's the thing. After you get off of Facebook, everything's going to come rushing back. Sometimes Facebook can make it worse. Twitter, Instagram, whatever. When the movie's over, you're still going to walk back into a real world with real problems. When the TV show goes off, even if you're binge watching something and it's been six hours later, you're still going to walk back into a real world. When vacation's over, I love vacation. Got one coming up. Looking forward to it. But don't be under any illusion. When you come home, Everything's still going to be there. Whatever it was that was troubling you, whatever it was you were struggling with, is still going to be there. So your only real refuge is in God. And so he says, look, there is no refreshing here. We're in a dry and thirsty land. There's no water here. There's nothing here. So he's trying to say, hey, guys, you don't have to waste your time pursuing something that's not going to satisfy you. Instead, seek the Lord. Go after Him with your whole heart and your whole mind. Go after Him with your whole being. Because He's the only one who can satisfy you. So He says, I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I hope that's what you've done today. And I hope that you've experienced Him here in this place today. Certainly we should. But then He comes back in verse 3. He says, because your loving kindness, and that's what we've talked about, because your love, God, is better than life itself. My lips shall praise you. And I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Your loving kindness, God. That's where life is at. That's where freedom's at. That's where peace is at. That's where joy is at. That's where healing's at. That's where my purpose is found. In your presence. In your love. It's better than anything else. My soul will be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, and I meditate on you in the night watches. Notice that to really walk in the fullness of this, it's not just something you're going to do on Sundays. What I planned on preaching this morning, and I, I don't know if I'll get to it or not, so here it is real quick, just real quick. When Jesus told His disciples, He said, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was the one that was going to do the making. That's why it didn't matter what their character was or what their personality was or what their background was or any of those things because Jesus wasn't counting on Peter and James and John and Thomas to make themselves fishers of men. He was saying, just follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But what he meant by follow me was come live with me. 
Come be everywhere I am and do everything I do and listen to everything I say and go everywhere I go. When, when you became a disciple, you would follow that rabbi or that teacher that you were following. It would become your life. You would be obsessed with that. would be everything about your life. And in Christianity and modern West, the Western world, we, it's like we think Jesus said, come and visit me once a week and I'm going to make you great things. Come show up one Sunday morning a week or, or on maybe a Wednesday night and throw that in there and, and every once in a while go to a conference. Just, just come visit me from time to time and man, I'm going to make something great out of you. That's not discipleship. That's not what Jesus called him to. The disciples would have never been able to be a disciple at all had that been their mindset. The only way this thing works is if we come and live with him. It's not a matter of of God being happy with just visitation from time to time. He said, I want you to abide with me. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, I want you to have an awareness that I'm with you everywhere you go because the only hope, the reason that I can have an expectation that wherever I go, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to have power and I'm going to have peace and I'm going to have victory is because everywhere I go, God's there. It's because He's not walking away from me. So if I'm wherever I'm at, whatever my problem, I have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Creator of this universe. And if I'm aware of His presence and I'm not trying to do this in my own flesh and my own strength, but I'm having a running dialogue with God. You see, when Jesus said pray continuously, He's not just talking about going around all the time in some physical mode of prayer, but He's saying staying in a constant awareness that the presence of God is something that never leaves you and you never leave. So that everywhere you... That means there's... How do I know what's right and what's wrong? Anything that I'm uncomfortable with the presence of God being with, I'm going to stay away from because the presence of God is with me everywhere I go. My body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. When I walk in that awareness that I'm never separated from Him. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your hang-ups are. I don't care what problems you've got. I don't care how messed up you are. If you'll come and stay with me, I'll make something great of you. Something you can never make yourself. But you got to stay. John 15, it says, if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we'll ask what we desire and it'll be done for us because we, we ourselves, He's the vine, we're the branches. As long as the branch abides in the vine, it's going to bear fruit. But if the branch is cut off away from the vine for any reason, it'll die and wither away. All throughout the Scripture, we see this connection And yet in the West, we've tried to divide and separate everything out. We've got a little box for our religious life and a box for our marriage and a box for our our, our work life and a box for our entertainment life and a box. We've got boxes for everything. And the sad thing is, many times those boxes are completely separated from each other. And that's not how this works. It won't work that way. So if your walk with God's not working and that's the way you're living, that's the reason it's not working. It will never work that way. It's not designed to work that way. He's got to be the center of everything. That means there's nothing I can't talk to Him about. Mom, would I hold anything back? He already knows. There are some things in life that, humanly speaking, I may be afraid of, but there's nothing he's afraid of. There's a lot of things in this world and in the future and about life I don't have a clue about. I don't know. But there's nothing he doesn't know. My reach is very limited. When people that I love suffer and struggle, that's the hardest thing for me. You feel helpless because you can't always be everywhere and you can't always do everything and you don't always have answers but God is everywhere and He can do everything and He does always have answers. And so the psalmist learns something through hard experience. He said, you know what? I'm just going to wait for God. He's heard my heart. I've cried out to Him. He's the only one who can help. So now I'm going to wait. Not going, but the part I love about that, and this is maybe the part I want to focus on as we close, I'm not going anywhere else. 
You see, that's what we like to do. We, we, won't, we don't say it that way, but it's what we do. When God doesn't answer as quick as we want Him to answer, then we're quick to try something else. We turn to some other solution, and, and usually that means we're trying to fix it ourselves. And how many of you have ever experienced the more you do that, the worse you make the problem? So David's already done that before, and he knows where that ends, so he says, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to wait silently for God. He alone, He alone is my rock, my refuge, my fortress, my deliverer. Only because of Him will I not be shaken. And then He goes on and He talks about how I'm going to seek you because there's nothing here that will ever satisfy me. I think some of us are way too satisfied with here. Now, please understand something. I believe God's called us to enjoy the life that He's given us, to be an influence in this world as long as we're in this world. But He said, don't love this world. 1 John says it. Don't love this world. Don't love the things in this world. For if you become a lover of this world, He's not talking about people. He's talking about a system and a culture and a way of living and a way of thinking, and a way of being. He said, if you become a lover of this world, you become hostile with God. You become an enemy of God. You make yourselves that. The two of them are not going in the same direction. I promise you that. And here's the problem. When we settle for the world's ideas, and the world's solutions, and the world's ways, instead of waiting on God, then we wind ourselves back in ourselves, back into our prison cell when the door's already been opened. The good news is the love of Jesus really will keep pursuing you. As long as there's life in that body of yours, He's going to keep pursuing. He's going to keep calling you out of the prison cell. He's going to keep reminding you, hey, I opened that door already. You don't have to go back there. But you can choose to do that. And when you do, we get caught up in all kinds of pain and turmoil and frustration and confusion. And whenever you get caught up in confusion, the Bible says God's not the author of that. The minute the Holy Spirit's presence walks into your situation and your moment that you're in, confusion leaves. Didn't say your problems disappeared, but confusion leaves. And peace reigns. Isn't it an amazing thing when you think about it to have that kind of access to the peace, the power, and the presence of God? If we would just assess it, if we would just believe that, and like the psalmist, if we would just stop looking for other solutions and just start crying out to God. I, for, for someone... I don't look at myself as being old in any way. I realize I'm getting older, but I feel like I'm still in my 20s or 30s most of the time. Sometimes I don't. But see, I can look back far enough in my generation that I remember some things that unfortunately, if you're too much younger than me, you don't remember. And I say unfortunate because it's extremely unfortunate. See, I, I remember how people used to cling to God before they had other things to divide their time. I remember how people, when they had problems, I remember instead of running to, to other solutions, I remember people literally, physically running to altars. Running to altars. And staying there. Until the presence of God moved in their life and they were better. And sometimes that took hours. Not minutes. I remember things. I remember people being so radically sold out to God that literally <laughs> it was all they talked about. and all they thought. I remember when people came to Christ. I remember days when such radical, I mean there would just be a dividing line. 
It's just like, I don't have any room for the past. I'm moving on to the future. I don't have any room for the things that used to hold me. All I want is what God's got in front of me. I remember those days. And I say, if you don't know them, it's extremely unfortunate because those were the days when the power of God moved in ways that most of us, we just try to conjure it up and sing it up and pray it up. Well, see, we lived it. We experienced it. We walked in it. I know what it is. These people that are saying amen, they're not just being funny. They lived it. They walked in it. They saw it. And I know a lot of you say, well, why don't we just do it again? Because you don't just do it again. You've got to go back to the path that did that, and most of us don't want to pay that price anymore. Because that means we're going to have to devote some time in the presence of God instead of other things. And what we do now is we say, well, I don't do bad things. And the fact that we can say I'm not doing wicked bad things is our excuse for not spending time in the presence of God. No, you've got to get back to the point where you value time in the presence of God enough that anything that keeps you from the presence of God becomes a bad thing until you can get into the presence of God. Anything that's not ungodly is okay as long as it's not keeping you from the presence of God. But I'm going to say something you're not going to like. If it's keeping you from the presence of God, it's as much an idol as something that people bow down to in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't care if it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Internet, TV, movies. I don't care what it is. If it's keeping you away from the presence of God, it's the idol in your life that has to come down before the power of God can do what God wants to do again. And it's not, you say, I'm okay with it the way it is. Well, it's not just about you. It's about the person beside you who desperately needs a move of God. It's about your neighbor that needs to know Jesus. It's about the person in the marketplace that has no idea that anybody even loves them. You see, I'm going to tell you something that you ain't going to like either. You can come to a place in your life where everything can be stripped away from you, and then all of a sudden you know all you've got's God, and then you're going to get real serious about God real fast. People do it all the time. Then they get on their face and they run after God like crazy. Oh, you can't tell them. You don't have to encourage them to worship. They're going to worship all day long and then ten times on Sunday because they need God bad and they know it. You don't have to try to get them to pray because they're praying all the time because it's the only hope they got and they know it. You, you don't have to beg them to get into the Word of God because they're in the Word of God because it's the only place they find any solace or safety or peace. You don't have to say, hey guys, why don't you, why don't you think about... <laughs> Putting God first, because they're like, I'm not just putting God first. I'm putting first, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth. He's everywhere, because if God don't do something, I'm sunk. And so a lot of people will blame God for that, and they'll say, well, see, if you're not careful, people live in fear. If you're not careful, God will do this to you, and all you're going to get in the place. No, God don't do that to you. We do that to ourselves. We put ourselves into positions where we're not hearing God's voice because we've got so much else that we're hearing. And the only way God can ever get a voice is He has to pick up a hedge that sits over our life. He don't do a thing. He just picks up a hedge that sits over our life. Remember that hedge that was around Job? Remember that? And, and Boy, I didn't plan on going here today, but here we go. There was a hedge around Job that Satan couldn't touch him even though he desperately wanted to. And so, but he said, well, well, you know what? Job don't really love you because you know, he, he would curse you to your face if you'd let me touch him. And so God said, oh, that boy loves me down there. You're wrong. So Satan says, well, you lift that hedge. And we may not understand why God did it. I don't understand why God did it, but he lifted the hedge. And Job got tested, and everybody around Job got tested. And the only person who came through was Job. Wasn't easy, but he found out that God was more than enough. Now, I'm not preaching today that God's getting ready to lift the hedge around your life. That's not what, what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to scare you into a corner where all of a sudden you get right with God. I'm not telling you to throw your TVs out the door and, and get rid of your phones or any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, you are going to have to figure out where your peace comes from someday. You are going to figure out where life is at. You're going to have to. You're going, to figure out, you're going to have to figure out where wholeness comes from. And you're going to have to devote yourself to Him. That's what discipleship is. David did that. 
He says, God, I'm going to seek you early. I'm going to seek you often. There's no satisfaction here. So I'm running after you. And why not? Your loving kindness is better than anything else anyway. Your love is better than life itself. So I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to cry out to you. And I'm going to seek you. And after I've done all that, then my soul silently wait for God. I'm not looking for help from anywhere else, just you. And you know what? God will come through. God will be faithful. Because God really does love you. He pursues you. He chases you down. He kicks the walls down if you'll let Him in your life. He runs after you. He always has. He always will. But you know what you got to do? And I'm going to close with this. <laughs> you got to let Him catch you. I wish God would run after me. Well, He is, but you got to let Him catch you. you got to slow down. Can you ever ask yourself, why, why is God running after you to begin with? Because you're running. If you were standing still, He wouldn't have to run after you. But we run. So often we run. Boy, it'll be a glorious day when you stop running. And you just let God, like a tidal wave, His love flow over you. It'll change everything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I don't know exactly who that message was for because it wasn't the one I intended to bring until this morning itself. And even in the midst of the message, there was even a few shifts and changes as we went. And I don't know who all of that was for. But the question for you is, what are you going to do with the love of God? I know God's already ministered to some people around the altar this morning. I'm very grateful for that. Some of you are feeling more whole and at peace right now this moment than you have in a long, long time, and I'm very grateful for that. But if you're still sitting in the room today and you're still up until this point, you've still been running. And the enemy's been masterful at deceiving you into tricking you into being able to say, well, I'm not doing anything really bad. I'm not sinning. I go to church. I do my devotions. Whatever you want to name. But that's not really what's at question here. That's not really the, the message today. The message is, who are you really waiting for? Because everybody's waiting for something. What, who are you waiting for? Man. If you can answer the question, everything would be all right in my life if, and you fill in that blank, if in that blank there is anything but Jesus, then that's your problem. I'm going to say that again because that just came. If you could answer the question today, everything would be all right in my life if, and you fill in that blank, if in that blank is anything but Jesus, there's your problem. See, the word today is just wait for Him. Wait for Him. Stop running here, there, and everywhere. Twisting and turning and trying and to fix everything. Just cry out to God. He's your only hope and defense. He's your deliverance. He's your refuge. Seek Him with everything. You're not going to find refreshing anywhere else. His love is better than anything else. Stop and tell yourself, wait for God. If you've known God at all, there's been a point where you know, you've known His presence. If you've known Him at all, there's been a point where you've felt His love. The question now is, what is it that you want? I hope today that God's spoken to you and He's letting you know what you need.
What you need is Him. And He's here. He's here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release this word to you today. Lord, I've tried to be as faithful as I can be to say what you wanted me to say. Now, God, we just put it in your hands. We trust you with it. God, you know every heart, every mind, every circumstance, every family, everything that's going on in every life in this room. And Lord, I believe you're calling us, all of us, closer, 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 closer to you. You're breaking down the walls between us and you. Breaking down the barriers and opening the doors. But we've got to choose to allow your love to capture our hearts. We've got to choose to stop looking other places. We've got to choose to stop filling the needs of our lives with other things besides you. We've got to trust you. And God, I know you're speaking to some hearts. I know there, uh, I know there are some who are feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit gripping them now. So God, for them, for them, I pray for courage. I pray for that faith that will reach up and grab hold of what you're saying to them. Lord, if they have faith as much as a grain of mustard seed, it's enough to move a mountain. And Father God, I thank you there's that much faith in their heart tonight. God, I pray that they'll put their expectation towards you and trust you. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where this message finds you. But I know God sent it. You're at a point where you're, you've been waiting for a lot of things, but God says what you need to wait for is me. I'm, I'm here. I'm the one you need. Stop looking other places. Maybe different parts of this message were for different people, but wherever you find yourself, if you know the Holy Spirit speaking to you, then you know God's gripping your heart today. Now you've got a choice. What are you going to do with that? I do it this way because I'm not looking for any type of personal thing. I just want you to acknowledge what God's doing. So nobody else is looking around. Nobody's going to know it but me and you anyway. But if you know the Holy Spirit is saying to you, hey, that's you. You need to let go of all this. You need to stop seeking all this. You need to stop trusting in all this. You need to wait for me. You need to wait for me. You need to let my love capture your heart. I'm more than enough. I'm the one you need. I'm the one that fills in all the blanks in your life. You need to stop looking at other places, even good places, and trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. At all times, trust me. Trust me. If you know God's talking to you, you know He's got His hand on your heart, would you lift your hand because I want to pray with you today. All right? Okay. Okay. Okay, all right. Okay, anybody else? You know that's you. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop running, okay? I'm going to stop running. Stop looking other places. Just you, Jesus. I'm going to wait for you. I'll give you all I am. If perchance you've never given your heart to Jesus, I never want to close the service without giving you a chance to do that. Is there anybody here who needs to make Jesus Lord of your life? That's where all hope and freedom begins is by giving your heart to Jesus. If you've never done that, He loves you. He left everything for you. He gave everything for you. If you need to give your heart to Jesus today and you've never done that, would you lift your hand in this room? Okay, can you stand with me? I like that chorus. Let's sing that. Because He really is the one who matters. He's the only one who matters. If you lifted your hand... Just a little while ago, and there were many in the room that did. I'm going to ask you, along with everybody else that worships in this room, just to surrender and say, God, here I am. I'm just waiting for you. My soul, wait for God. Wait for God. He's running after you. I'm, I'm just going to let the love of God capture me right now. I'm going to stop looking other places. I'm going to stop trying to fill in the blanks with other things, even good things. God, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to devote myself to you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. You're more than enough for me. You're more than enough for me. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. Let's sing that chorus. Make that our commitment. You're the one that really matters. 
one that really matters. You're the only one, Jesus. You're the one that really matters. You and you alone, God. You're the one that really matters. Sing that again. Jesus, you're everything. You're the one that really matters. 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 Jesus, you're the one that really matters. You're all we want. You're all we need. You're the one that really matters. You're the one that really matters. You're the one that really matters. Hallelujah. Father God, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this people. I thank you that as we leave this building, we do not leave you, but you go with us everywhere we go. Help us to be aware of that and to walk in obedience to your presence, to listen for your every direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you. Hope you have a great day. Go in the grace of God. Most of all, they've seen me torn.